Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. To Second uh, Peter, Second Peter chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, not a big deal. All the words today uh, will be on the screen. But but I do want to remind you and just encourage you. Uh, we are a Bible believing, Bible teaching church. Uh, we believe in the Bible, we teach the Bible, and part of why we gather every week is not just to hear um, an informational or inspirational sermon, but it's actually to study the Scripture. Um, you, you cannot get around the fact that it is not possible to be a devoted, committed disciple or apprentice of Jesus apart from having a commitment and a devotion to the Scripture. And so I, I would just encourage you, um, maybe I'm, you're, you're here for the first time, uh, I would encourage you to, to get a Bible if you don't have one. Um, if you can't afford one, please come and find us. We, we have one we would love to provide for you. But I'd encourage you, get a Bible, start reading your Bible, start studying your Bible. It's so cheesy and it's so cliche, but I always think about it. I heard an old preacher say one time, you know, if you got a dirty Bible, you probably got a clean life. And um, it's so cheesy, but, but, but the sentiment is true that, man, someone who really is devouring the Scripture and they're studying Scripture and, and, and they're really, get, it, it's usually an indication that it's some degree or level God is at work in their life. To, 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 to one degree or another, the Holy Spirit is probably at work molding and shaping and changing and transforming. And uh, we're, we're going to talk today actually about the Bible and a little bit just about how the Bible, um, it, it is transformational in nature. And so I'd encourage you to grab a Bible, start bringing it to church. Uh, but if you don't have one, say not a big deal. Second Peter chapter one is where we're gonna start. Uh, we're in a series that we started last week, a series that we've entitled this, I've Got Questions. I've Got Questions. And, and we, we started the series just in, in uh, acknowledging the reality we're living in a day, we're living in an age where there are maybe more questions than ever before. Now, I said it last week, I'll say it again. That's not to say that we're unique and that we're the only people and this is the only period of time where there's ever been questions. That certainly isn't true. Uh, there's been questions since the beginning of time and uh, we are not u- unique in, in, in that. However, we, we do want to acknowledge, and we'll, we'll, we'll look uh, again here in a moment at a scripture uh, that we, we read last week, but we do want to acknowledge that we are living in a day and an age, in a culture, where the kinds of questions that are being asked is changing. Uh, the, the things that are being questioned themselves, it's, it's changing. The, the, the amount of people and the amount of diver, it is changing. And we, we, we started this last week looking at 1 Timothy chapter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, talking about how the Bible actually says that this should not be surprising for in the last days, which we are in, that in the last days there will be deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that will be so deceptive and so seducing in nature that, 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 that it will not just be outside, but inside the church, inside the family of God and the people of God, that many people, like not just a select few, and you know, we, I kind of figured actually, because Bob's like never here, and I mean, have you seen his social media? Like, no, 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 not, not a select few, but many believers will actually hook, line, and sinker buy into these deceiving spirits, these doctrines or teachings inspired by demonic activity, and they will, they will drift away. 
And we started this series just acknowledging that we're kind of living in this day and age. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this in case uh, you weren't here, in case you're wondering. Um, the, the primary goal of this series, at least this first part, is not to answer any one specific question. It, it is not our goal to answer any one specific question or address any one specific hot topic, although I'm sure that we will to some degree or another. But the goal is to lay a foundation. The goal is to lay a foundation to ask the question of ourselves, how do we posture our heart? And how, how do we approach this whole topic of questions? Because newsflash, it's not going away. And how many of you know the questions you may have today maybe won't be the questions you'll have in six months, six years, or in six decades? That's a long time. If you're still alive, that's, that's awesome. Um, but, but questions change. And, and so rather than just addressing one particular question or one hot topic, which, by the way, um, we, we, we are still uh, thinking about a way uh, for us to be able to receive questions and address specific hot topic questions because we want to be a resource. And we may even uh, delve into that in the second part of the series that will be taking place after Mother's Day. But that being said, again, the goal is, is it's foundationary. We, we want to lay a foundation, and just because it really does connect to where we were last week, uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of a review and play a little bit, bit of catch-up, because uh, where we're going to start today, it really is like it's, it's congruent or it's in alignment, kind of like comma and uh, to, to, where, to, to where we were last week. So I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Last week, we started the series by, by, by just saying this, that we are living in these last days. Uh, we won't read it, but I reference it again. It's first, uh, first Timothy chapter four, verse one through two. Paul says, we're living in a day and age. In the last days, there will be deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that will lead many people astray. And what we did last week is, first of all, we put language to that. We put language to that. Um, we do not have time to really unpack and, and, and define all these words, but we talked about how, if you just want to put language to it, we are living in a postmodern slash applied postmodern culture. Um, shortly, briefly, postmodern ideology and thought, what it says is that one cannot know truth. One cannot know reality. One, can, one cannot know truth or reality absolutely for all truth and all reality, by the way, big words, but intentional words, all truth and all reality in our Western civilization is simply a construct of Judeo-Christian values that were put in place by those in power for the purpose of gaining more and maintaining all the power that they have. And so postmodern thinking says, listen, the whole thing, man, it's a construct. The whole thing, you know, you can't really know truth because what you think is truth, it's simply a construct put in place. It's a power play. Now, applied postmodern thinking comes along and goes, well, we got to like do something about this. Like we, we can't just sit around and realize, we, we got to do something. And so applied postmodern thinking and philosophy comes into play in about the 1970s. And they say, we have to destroy all of it. Like there, there's no way that we can erase these truths, these Judeo-Christian values out of the fabric of our culture and society. They're, they're woven too deep. Therefore, the only solution is we have to destroy it all together. Now, insert a word we talked about last week, and I promise you the, the, the recap is intentional. Insert this word deconstruction. Deconstruction, um, it is simply the adoption of postmodern or applied postmodern thinking by a believer. Now, think about this. If, if postmodern thinking, this culture we're living in, which if you can't see it, um, you, you should take 
take the blinders off because it's pretty easy to see right now in our world. If, if this way of thinking, there is no real truth, there is no reality, absolutely. One applied postmodern uh, writer and thinker writes this, all we have is kindness. And what is kindness? Kindness is to simply affirm and celebrate and validate anyone's self-realized truth through personal experience. Now, if, 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 this is, if this is what the, the thinking and ideology says, think about this. For a believer to buy into this, what happens is eventually, slowly and subtly, there is a denying of God as God, Jesus as Lord, and the Bible is absolute truth. Why, why, why does it matter that we put language to this? Why does it matter that we're aware of this? Well, because here's, here's where we started last week. There is a difference. Someone say difference. There's a difference in having questions and questioning. We, we are living in a culture where predominantly, there's not a lot of questions, but more there is questioning of truth. There's questioning of, of realities and values that somehow contradict or go against my self-realized truth. We talked about how last week there's a difference in questions and questioning, and that really actually does matter because according to Scripture, the way you ask your questions. By the way, I'll say it again. There's no question off, off limits. I, you know, maybe this isn't your experience, but my experience to one degree or another is that um, it's kind of, you know, like not good to have questions. My, my experience to one degree or another is, ah, if you got questions, you should probably just kind of figure that out, those out on your own because you don't want anyone to think less of you. You don't want anyone to think that somehow you're not as spiritual or somehow you're, can I just say that questions are not bad. God invites and he welcomes questions. However, the way we posture our heart matters because here's what the Bible says, that God gives grace, someone say grace. God gives grace to the humble. The Bible says the beginning or the starting point of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So for us to access God and all the answers for all of life's questions. God, by the way, is not hiding stuff. James 1.5 says, if anybody has a question, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. For God gives liberally without reproach to all. Someone say all. To all who ask. So, so, so God is not hiding God is not stingy. No, God, he's the source of all wisdom, revelation, truth, and knowledge. We need God. However, the Bible says, if you want God to open up your heart, your eyes, your understanding, it's a big deal how you approach God. That one must come humbly and with fear and reverence in their heart that God, you are God and I am not. We said this last week, it is the connecting piece that with a heart of, of humility, with fear and reverence in our heart for God as God, the starting place is to ask the question, what does the Bible say? Proverbs 2, 6 says that all wisdom and revelation and knowledge, it comes from the, from the mouth of God. And here's why the Bible is the starting place, because God will never say anything that contradicts what he's already said. How can we be sure? Because God never contradicts what he's already said. And so the starting place, while we can pray and we can fast and we can go on nature hikes and we can connect with the mountains and the trees and the berries and fine. But the starting place is to first say, God, what 
have you already said? And that kind of begs this question. Well, if that's the starting place, how do I know I can really even trust the Bible? Matter of fact, you can write this down, title of the sermon today, this topic that we're going to jump into. Um, can I really trust the Bible? It's actually a really good question. Um, because if we're saying the starting place for all of life's answers is the word of God, well, it begs the question, how do I know I can really trust the word of God? I ask you to turn with me today to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, I'm reading from the New King James Version. You don't uh, have to have that version. It just simply happens to be the one I'm reading from. And uh, I'm, I'm going to read from, from the screen, but Peter is writing, and we're going to read through verse 21. And we're going to use this text today as kind of the framework for how we will build a case to the reality that the Bible is actually something we can trust and we can put our weight into. Uh, New King James Version, Peter writes and he says this, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came, from the, uh, came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. If you didn't catch all that, that's okay because we're going to keep coming back to it and use it kind of as a, a, uh, a framework today for how, how we're going to build this case. Again, the title of the sermon today is, Can I Really Trust the Bible? Can I Really Trust the Bible? Um, you, you, you probably know this and, you, and you're, you're probably aware of it, but, but I'll, I'll say it anyways. Um, every single person in here is, is unique. Uh, while we may be similar, uh, maybe today you're sitting next to your sibling, you're sitting next to your mom or your dad. We, we may be similar, but every single one of us, we have a unique story and unique experiences. We, we experience life uniquely, our story, the way that we were raised, the way that you know, we process. It, 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 it might be similar, but it is unique. Um, I, for, for example, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, that's kind of an understatement because I was raised like in a really, really Christian home because my parents are pastors. And um, I was thinking about it this morning. I actually still live in a pastor's home because I live in my home and I'm a pastor. And so literally my entire life, I've been in like a super, uber duper Christian home uh, because um, I've, I've, I've been raised by pastors and, I, and I'm a pastor. Uh, it's funny, we, we were at some people's house last night for dinner and um, they had some worship music playing. And he goes, hey, by the way, I swear, we didn't put worship music on just because you're here. Like we actually listened to it. I'm like, that's totally fine, man. Like put the Beatles on. Like, I, I, don't, I don't care. Like, whatever you listen to, doesn't matter to me. Uh, one of my favorites was we had someone come over one time and um, they walked in our house and they went, you, you, you okay? You, you have a television. Yeah, man, we, 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 I thought you were a pastor. I'm like, wow. Um, okay. But I, I was raised in, in, in a Christian home. But for, for me, even though I grew up uh, with just a deep 
conviction that no, God is God and, 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 and there is a reality to this. Uh, it wasn't until I was about 18 year, years old that I really fell in love with, with, with the Bible, with the scripture. Um, I loved God, knew in my heart that I really should follow God, but it wasn't until I was 18. I had, uh, up until that point in my life, the most profound encounter with God I'd ever had. Went to a, a Christian conference with my mom and dad in Washington, D.C., on the back row in the Hilton, Washington, D.C. I heard God speak to me as clear as I'd ever heard to that point in life. Two things, I'm calling you to ministry, stay right where you are. Calling you to ministry, stay, stay right where you are. I was about to graduate high school, didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I had lots of grand ideas, all of which I'm glad that I didn't try because they wouldn't have worked. And I, I heard God just say, I'm, I'm calling you to ministry, stay right where you, as cl- cl- clear as I'd ever heard and clear enough to go, I can't shake this, this is real. And one, one of the first things that I realized is if I'm going to be in ministry, um, I should probably get serious about God. Like to like to 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 to, to some degree, and um, all I needed to do was to go right to the right to the Bible, and man, did did the Bible begin to change my life? I I don't stand up here and, and I don't you know believe the Bible and I don't love the Bible and have conviction about the Bible because I'm a pastor because I'm a Christian. I have love and passion and conviction because the Bible literally changed and transformed my life. I, I had, had just this, this revelation that, that God actually wanted to sit across the table from me and through his spirit, he actually wanted to speak to me and talk to me. He actually wanted to, on the inside, open my eyes and begin to mold me and shape me and, and the Bible changed me. I believe the Bible. I have passion about the Bible because I have personal experience, the transformational power of God's word. And yet, again, what I understand and realize is that my story, my experience, while it may be similar to yours, it is unique unto me. And it does not uh, uh, unvalidate the, 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 the prevalent question that's in our culture today, and that's this, can I really trust the Bible? Maybe you have a similar story, a similar experience, but we have to acknowledge that in our culture and in our world, maybe even even in our own hearts at times, there is the question, can I really trust the Bible? Now, I'm not poking fun at Christians um, because I'm I'm just being mean-spirited or really at all. I'm just acknowledging um, one of the things that that we do in our Christian culture is, is sometimes we give answers to questions that aren't really answers, have, have you ever um, asked someone a question and they gave you an answer and you walked away going, that wasn't actually an answer, but I don't really want to ask the question again. Sometimes we, we answer that question, well, how, how do I know I can really trust the Bible? And, and because maybe we have a personal experience or, or we have a story that's maybe similar to mine, we answer it in a way that I'd be inclined to answer it. Well, just like, be, be, because it's true. How do you know? Because my experience, the way I was raised tells me it's the truth. It's God has proven himself to me. And yet it's an answer, but it's not really one that gives somebody an answer. I heard this quote from another source and it's short, but I love it. It's just this, just this, that legitimate questions deserve legitimate answers. Legitimate questions deserve legitimate answers. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, 3, verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. But that we should sanctify the Lord our God in our hearts and always be ready. Someone say always. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Bible says we should always be ready and able to, to, to give a defense, a reasonable response to this hope that is in us. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. I believe it is, Jesus says, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul. All for, for many of us, we're good at that. We can get passionate and we can get excited and, and tears can flow during the worship song. But, but we forget that he also says, and also with all of your mind. In, in other words, there, there is a part of our faith and, and, and our following him that requires our mind, requires our intellect, re- requires for us to intellectually engage and study and lean into things so that we have the ability to know with certainty the things that we believe, but also that we have the ability to be used by God to help other people. I mean, here's the reality. God actually wants to use your life. You, you don't have to feel like you're quote unquote called to be a pastor. God wants to use you wherever you are. Uh, Mom, dad, God wants to use you in your home with children and teenagers who are being raised in a secular culture that is not like the one that you, that you, you grew up in. And they're gonna have questions, but whether they verbalize them or they're in their heart, that you have to have the ability to talk and answer in a way that actually gives an answer. We are going to work every day. We're talking with our neighbors. We're interacting. And and the reality is God wants to use your life so that you're not just convinced, but you have the ability to walk with other people and help them to know the truth, the certainty of the things that you, that you know. So here's what we're going to do today. Um, I, I, I will give a little, little bit of a disclaimer for anyone who is very academic. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of a relief to anyone who's not. Um, there's no way that we can, in the next 15, 20 minutes um, that's left on the clock, there's no way that we can, can, can in, in detail or in depth, dive into all of these things. But, but let me say this as, as a way of reminder, and then, then we'll, we'll jump into this. Um, Our Sunday morning church gathering is meant to be the starting place, not not the end. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, There's a scripture in the book of Acts, and it says that after these people had heard the gospel, that they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. In other words, the the, the sermon, the teaching, the, the gathering, it was the starting place for study, for prayer for meditation, for research, for leaning into these things. And I just want to tell you today, if you're you know, disappointed or relieved that we're going to kind of just at a surface level talk about some fundamental reasons we know we can trust the Bible, let me just encourage you, this is a starting point. It is meant to be the starting place for you to then go and study and pray and think deeply and research on your own that you might be able to, with certainty, have conviction. I'll just say, say this quickly. You will not gain conviction about anything in a 40-minute sermon. Conviction on the inside happens through the process of meditation, the process of chewing on things. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, the conviction it comes through, through the renewing of our mind. And so let this today be the starting point. Someone say starting point. 
All right, so I, I, I want to read you a sentence today, and it comes from uh, a man named Vodi Bakum. Vodi Bakum, he's a pastor, he's a leader, he is an apologist, um, he's the dean of theology at a uh, seminary in Africa, and um, he has this very, very concise but very, very brilliant sentence that we're going to actually use today as a framework, and we're going to piece by piece go through this and talk about this briefly. Here's what Vodi Bakum says. He says, I choose to believe the Bible— because it is a collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, reporting supernatural events that took place in the fulfillment of specific prophecies and claim their writings are divine and not of human origin. Read, read it one more time. He says, I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents that's been written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, reporting supernatural events that took place in the fulfillment of specific prophecies that claim their writings are divine and not of human origin. Number one, if taking notes, I'm gonna give you five thoughts today quickly. Number one is this, of the Bible. It is a reliable collection of historical documents. It is a reliable collection of historical documents. Documents. The Bible says this in first, I'm sorry, second Peter chapter one. It said we're, we're going to keep referencing this. Peter writes and he says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If if you have kids, maybe you're, you're familiar with this, uh, our eight-year-old. She has a couple friends um, who have very big imaginations, um, who, who like to tell stories and talk about things as though they are true. And she, come home, she comes home all the time telling us, hey, you'll never guess what so-and-so told me. And she begins to, to, to give us some facts that I go, that's a fairy tale. There's no way on earth that is true. That is absolute baloney. You need to tell your friend. They need to fact check. They need to pray and repent. That is not the truth. Go tell them to talk to your dad or their dad. But, but, but Peter writes, he goes, listen, we didn't follow these cunningly devised, made up fairy tale stories. This is not just like a game of telephone where I knew someone who knew someone who got the dog groomed at a place, who recommended a pizza parlor, and this guy told a friend of a friend that this is not cunningly devised fables or, or made-up things. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read four, four verses. Luke chapter 1, verse, verse 1, the, 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 the prologue. It says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered uh, them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed." One of the things you have to realize just right, right from the starting point is the Bible, it is a reliable, a reliable collection of historical documents. 
The Bible is an actual historical document that has more credibility and reliability than most, if not all other historical documents we have today. Over 23,000 archaeological digs have, have, have corroborated the biblical record without a single disproving find. Many historical references in scripture were not found anywhere else, only later to be proven through archaeological discovery. The Bible includes many specific names, specific places, specific people, all that are are historically verifiable. Number two, write this down. Not only is the Bible a reliable collection of historical documents, but the Bible, it was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Again, this is not a game of telephone. Well, you know, I knew a guy that knew a guy and I heard, no, this, this is a reliable historical document that was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Second Peter 1.16 writes this. Second Peter 1.16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. Someone say eyewitness. Eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Bible records this in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, reading through verse 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life that was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and declared to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Everything we have written and we have recorded were written by those who were eyewitnesses, those who were actually there, Those who didn't just hear about it, but those who they saw it with their eyes. They heard it with their ears. They experienced it and touched with their own physical bodies. They they were eyewitnesses. And not only, but, but the Bible records that much of the New Testament, if not all the New Testament, it was written during the lifetime of hundreds of 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 other eyewitnesses. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 7 writes, writes this. And that he was seen by Cephas, or that's Peter, then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. During the writings of 1 Corinthians, it is historically believed that still over 300 men, 300 eyewitnesses who were there, who saw him, who heard him, were still alive. See, we have a historically reliable document, one, one that historically is proven to, 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 to be real, to, to, to exist, to have credibility, and it was written by those who were eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. Now, now one of the, the arguments, um, and, and this is, not, this is not, not original to, to me, but we're taking this from an academic source, one of the arguments is often this, well, how do you know? that the Bible wasn't changed. Like, like, how do you know people didn't do to the Bible what I did to my homework before class when I would see that my, that my friend did it more accurately and I'd erase all my answers and I would change them? And how, how, how do we know it wasn't changed? Well, there is a three-part, someone say three-part. 
there is a three-part conspiracy that, that, that would have had to happen. And, and again, this is a brief sketch, a brief overview, but, but, but it's interesting and, and I think rather convincing. But the, the, the first part would be this, the, the, the manuscript conspiracy. Um, we, we have still today well over 6,000, 6,000 manuscripts. 6,000, just the the New Testament alone, over 6,000 manuscripts or partial manuscripts. And so for someone to have gone and changed what the Bible says, they would have had to first, they would have had to change and alter all 6,000 manuscripts, just New Testament alone, that by the way, are not just in like one place. They would have had to change all 6,000 manuscripts to 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 match and align and, and to, to be perfectly in sync without anyone having ever heard about it, known about it, or it ever being recorded. Now, layer number two is what many people maybe don't know or think about is that uh, there would have to be a translation conspiracy. That early after the, after the, New, the New Testament what was written, that it was translated into three different languages. It was translated into three different languages. Why? Because Jesus had go into all the world and make disciples. And so quickly it was translated. And so if one were to have to change or, 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 or want to alter scripture, they would have to change or alter over 6,000 manuscripts plus go find every manuscript in three different languages, three different translations, and perfectly change all of those to match and be aligned all without ever having told anybody. There'd be no record, no documentation, but, but, but then thirdly, there, there would be the commentary conspiracy. Um, the early church, church fathers, they would write uh, commentary on the New Testament, and they, they would use a lot of the New Testament. For, uh, for example, um, one biblical scholar says this, that if all we had, if the only thing we had were the commentary that the early church fathers wrote, that's all we had, we'd still have over 95% of the New Testament. So think about this. If someone would have wanted to change and alter what this book says, they would have to go find over 6,000 manuscripts, change everything to perfectly match and perfectly align, and then go find every manuscript in, every, you know, in these three different languages and translations. And then they'd have to go find all of the early church fathers' writings and commentaries and change all of them perfectly to align and match and be writings, all without ever having been recorded, ever having told anybody. There'd be, if you believe that, you have more faith than anybody in this room. It, it is nearly impossible Speaking from a historical standpoint to say the Bible has been changed and altered. No, what we have, what we hold in our hands today, it is a historically proven, reliable document that was written during the lifetime of eyewitnesses by those who were eyewitnesses. And thirdly, you can write this down. The, the Bible, it is not only a great historical document, but, but rather the Bible, it records supernatural events. The Bible is not just a good history book. The, 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 the Bible is not just a very reliable, accurate book that we have of historical information, but the Bible is a reliable historical document written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that records supernatural, only God can do kind of events. 
2 Peter chapter 1, it's the text that we keep going to, reading verses 17 and 18. Peter writes, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter writing about the the, the transfiguration. See, the the Bible is not just a history book like we have about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and the things that have happened in our U.S. history. It's a book that, well, it records historically verifiable supernatural events. Time would fail us to go through every one of them, but I think about stories like the woman who had the issue of blood, the the woman who had been bleeding for over 40 years, an incurable disease, and yet just simply touching the hem of his garment is healed. Think about stories like the young boy who who had died, who was in a coffin, is walking by Jesus and Jesus speaks a word and he, he rises again. Think about Lazarus who was wrapped in grave clothes and a party of mourning friends and family who, who had joy brought to their hearts again because Jesus spoke a word, arise Lazarus and, and, and come forth. Think about Jesus being fast asleep on a boat and standing up, wiping the sleep out of his eyes and commanding the wind and the waves, peace be still. I think about probably the, the greatest one that we just celebrated, that is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can, you can put the Bible to, to, to the side for a second. Did you know that historically it is verifiable that there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who died, and who rose again? See, the Bible is not just a book of historical reliable accuracy, one that was written by eyewitnesses, but it is a supernatural book. It's a God book that doesn't just record supernatural events, but rather it records supernatural events. You can write this down, uh, point number four, supernatural events that are in the fulfillment of specific prophecies. The Bible, it is a collection of 66 different books. 66 different books that were written in three different languages, written by 40 authors spanning over three continents and over 1,500 years, all that prophetically, perfectly align and agree and corroborate the same stories, the same prophecies, the same things. It's been corroborated by over 23,000 archaeological digs, again, with nothing disproving its finding. And the Bible not only records supernatural events, but the Bible records supernatural events that are all in the fulfillment of specific prophecies. We, we won't turn there for time's sake, but Psalm 22 would be a great example. Psalm 22 would be a great example because it, in detail, it, it describes, it prophesies, it for, 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 foretells, the, the, the crucifixion of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And, and this foretelling, this prophesying, why, why it is so significant, I bring your attention to it because it is only something that could have been God-inspired for the psalmist would have had no, first of all, no understanding or, or, or no uh, ability to, to, to know what would happen in detail that day, but he would have no understanding of what crucifixion even was because crucifixion had not even been invented yet. 
It, it would not have even been in his mind or in his thinking. And yet we have a book that perfectly is in alignment. Again, 1,500 years, 40 different authors perfectly aligning God-inspired words where prophecies specifically are fulfilled. Josh McDowell writes that you can find in the New Testament alone, in Jesus's life alone, over 300 Old Testament prophecies that perfectly are fulfilled. It is statistically impossible unless the Bible is not just a historically reliable book, but is a supernatural one, which leads me to our fifth thought today. And that's this, that the Bible it claims that its writings are divine. The Bible claims that its writings are divine. These things would be statistically impossible to all come together unless the Bible was not just a man book, but, but it was a God book. Unless it was a supernatural book. Second Peter chapter one, read to you verses 20 through 21. It says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, it is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. The Bible is not just historically reliable document that we have that cannot be disproven. That would be hard to argue there was any alteration from what men inspired by God put pen to paper and wrote. The Bible is not just a book that was written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. The Bible isn't just a book that records these supernatural events and fulfills specific prophecies, but the Bible is a book that it lives today. That, 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 that was not penned just by men, but was penned by God, that God inspired every writer and every contributor. He inspired them by his spirit to put pen to paper and not just record their account, but to record his words. And because God still lives, his word still speaks today. Oh, all, all, all of these things are true. And again, this is a starting point and I would encourage you to go study and research and fact check and go do all of your own homework. But even if these things were not true, which they are, but even if they weren't, can, can, can I just tell you that that you cannot shake the personal transformational power that God's word has. Again, it's why, it's why I believe the Bible. Yes, all of this, it gives me solid ground to put my foot on and say, no, I'm, I'm convinced. There's nothing you can do to convince me that this is not the actual living, breathing words of God. That's not why I, got, why I got my feet planted. 
It's because like Hebrew says, this book, it speaks and it lives today. And it opens up our lives. It cuts us open and it begins to do surgery. It begins to speak, it begins to change, it begins to transform. It begins to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and gives us wisdom and revelation and understanding and the answers to all of life's questions. The Bible is living, it's breathing. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the word of God. And as God lives, the scripture lives and it speaks today. God speaks to us in real time through his spirit and gives us wisdom, gives us revelation, gives us knowledge, gives us understanding, gives us answers to all the questions we have as we come to him with humble hearts and fear and reverence of him. This is why the Bible is the starting place for all of our questions. Well, how, how, how do I know the Bible It's really something that I I can trust. Well, the Bible is the starting point for all of our questions because the Bible is, you can put that on the screen, the Bible is. Again, it's a reliable collection of historical documents. It's been written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports and records supernatural events that all take place in the perfect fulfillment of specific prophecies and they all claim their writings. They were divine and not of human origin. Oh, the word of God, it is the starting place for every question we have. And it's the starting place that we can put our feet on in confidence and say, no, I can trust this book. And I can trust the God of this book who still speaks supernaturally to us today. I I know today as we close, there's probably three groups of people in here. And I want to encourage three different groups of people. Number one, there's probably people who maybe your story and and maybe your experience is very similar to mine. And you're you're sitting here amening and taking notes and because for you, the Bible is real. You have a deep conviction of the scripture to the point that you've made a decision to align your whole life your whole worldview according to what the scripture says. My encouragement is you keep keep your feet planted and you keep moving forward and you ask God to help you to help other people around you as the world is growing darker and the questions will become more complex and more prevalent. I I know there's probably another group of people here today that um, you're good Christians. Maybe you're a good Southern Christian and you, you believe the Bible. You believe the Bible because that's how you were raised. Yet, you, yet your belief of the Bible has not yet translated into a deep conviction of its truth. I totally believe the Bible, man, like overarchingly. But, but it's yet to lead to this deep conviction of truth. This deep conviction of truth that you say, no, I, I can't get around This is the actual living, breathing word of God that speaks today. And and you haven't yet allowed it to change and transform your living. You're, You're still finding ways for the Bible to coexist with your living rather than allowing the Bible to transform your living. May I encourage you today that you would take a step and you would say, God, I, I, I want to step forward and I want the Bible to not just become something that I believe because it's how I was raised or because it just feels good or works for me right now. I want to live my life with conviction. 
want to live my life in alignment with what your scripture says. And in every area and issue of my life, I want to keep going back to saying, no, my starting place is what does the Bible say? Third group I know is probably in here today is some who are just skeptical. I don't really know. I'm not not really sure. Can can I encourage you that, that you would allow today to be a starting point for you? And that you would pray, you would ask God, you would go start doing your homework and your research and maybe even take a step of faith today. Go get a Bible. Start prayerfully reading your Bible. Start investigating. Start asking God to speak to you. And if God is God, let him prove himself to you and meet you where you are. Don't, don't, don't live in the land of skepticism, at a land of keep, keeping the Bible at an arm's length. No, be, begin to move close for the Bible is, the Bible is truth. Again, the Bible is a reliable historical document written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses that record supernatural events that fulfill prophecies that all claim it's right. They're divine in nature. So take a step of faith today. Take a step of faith and begin to lean in and trust that, that God, as you draw near to him, God will draw near to you. God will meet you where you are. And God will begin to open your eyes to give you wisdom and revelation into who he is. Amen. Can I pray for you today? Lord, today we thank you for for the Bible and that this is not just a book of fairy tales, a book of made up stories that are inspirational and sometimes informational. We thank you, God, that you've actually given us a, a book that tells us who you are that reveals to us your character, your will for our life, that speaks to us in real time today through the power of your spirit. And I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice, including myself today, that Holy Spirit, you would continue to draw near and you would help us to live in these last days with even more of a conviction that your word is truth. That wherever we are today, we would move another step deeper into saying, I trust God's word. I'm living my life according to God's word. I'm standing on God's word. And in every question that I have, my starting place will be to go and say, what does the Bible say? What has God already said? Lord, I continue to pray for everyone who's here, everyone watching online, everyone that's a part of our church, that as we're in this series, that as we, we talk about questions, the questions of their heart, that as they bring them to you, God, you'll meet them where they are and you'll help them to find answers. You'll help them to find conclusive truth for you are truth and all truth, all wisdom, all knowledge, it comes from you in Jesus' name. Would you stand up on your feet with me today? And can we conclude our time together by singing a worship chorus? And as soon as we do, Brittany and Spencer, they will dismiss you. So let's let's lift our hands if we're comfortable. Let's close our eyes and let's conclude today by just worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the... God of all gods and thanking him for what he's doing. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.